this is Phoebe. Welcome to Feminine Chaos. Phoebe, what are we talking about today? Apart from the fact that I'm famous. Kat <laughs> is famous, and I can't believe she still deigns to do Feminine Chaos with little old me here, because Kat, you have uh, had some media appearances. Would you like to share? I have. I was recently on the television with Piers Morgan um, and, and also Kat Timpf. It was a, it was a two-cat pileup. So I was invited to join, um, I believe it's called Piers Morgan Uncensored which makes it sound a lot racier than it is, um, to talk about Anthony Weiner, who is back. Mm-hmm. And, who should be censored. Yeah, they, they had a, quote, uncut interview with him. Uh, we, had, okay. we had a good time with that. Um, also to talk about the recent Iowa caucus in which Trump won handily, which, you know, I mean, no surprise there, but uh, we talked about that. We t- oh, come on, Kat. How, how, could, how could America ever vote for that orange-faced, you know, Donald Trump. I don't see it ever happening. I think Hillary's going to win. I think I have been in this cave and I'm pretty sure that Hillary's going to win. I feel like I have fallen through time to 2016. Yeah. 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 What's a pandemic? <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And uh, and we talked a little bit about the royal family, which has had a new mm. a new drama mm-hmm. this week. Briefly. Uh, yes. Did, did you? Yeah. <laughs> it was a British accent. Was that your British accent? <laughs> no, it was. I don't know what it was. So what's the deal with the royal family? Apparently. Well, this is very interesting. So somebody said that the late Queen Elizabeth was very mad at the Sussexes, uh, Harry and Meghan, because they named their daughter Lilibet, which was Queen Elizabeth's nickname when she was a child. Um, so we talked about that. And I said that, you know, whatever this drama is, it's great for Harry and Meghan, because the thing that most reliably gets them in the news is when they are feuding with the Queen. And it's very difficult to feud with her now that she's dead. Yeah, I was gonna say, is there like a Ouija board or something? Like, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Moving that. What are they call it a planchette around being like yes I'm very she said spells out I'm very disappointed in you but in an English accent um but no uh, the the thing was after I did this appearance where I talked about how it was you know so good for them they were feuding with the queen that it came out that maybe in fact she hadn't cared and this was just all completely made up so I don't know I don't know what's going on I think you win I think you have just uh solved the royal family maybe look what's what's important is that i had professional hair and makeup done for this appearance and the woman who did my hair whose name was eva did something to it it was bigger than it has ever been in my entire life i mean like not since not since junior prom have i had this much volume in my hair now how does queen elizabeth how does the late queen elizabeth feel about your hairstyle she said she loves it yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Just she checking. said. She said it looks wonderful. I, see, I can't. I can't do a British accent either. So, but apart from that, what have you been up to? What are we talking about? I have. Okay. Well, I could tell you that I have recently bought royal blue nail polish. Ooh. And I did one of those. I did the thing. I am the basic person. Well, we can maybe talk about basic. Basicness may come up again on this episode. Mm. I kept seeing ads for a nail polish that looked like Eve Klein blue. And for years, I've always been trying to find the perfect Eve Klein blue nail polish. And once I did have it, but it was like the texture didn't work or something. And so I, I haven't had this bottle for a while. I ordered it. It's, it's nice. I'm wearing it, but it's not quite it. Oh, no. So this is, uh, I feel like Eve Klein, the artist, um, really fell through on the nail polish 
manufacturing. So, um, yeah, but they do make official, they make official Eve Klein blue paint. I know like house paint for the uninitiated. Can you just like, uh, that includes me. What is the Eve Klein blue? Yes, I will describe it. So, um, Eve Klein blue, it's like cobalt. It's like a Royal blue. That's almost sort of an electric neon Royal blue. It's like this perfect shade of blue that the artist Eve Klein would paint everything in kind of like that. That was what his art was. Um, and it's just like a, the perfect shade of blue. And it's very, very bright in this way that like this nail polish, it's kind of like a dark Royal blue. It's maybe actually as nail polish better than what Eve Klein blue would be, but it's just not it. It looks it though on the screen, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it looks it in the ads. So I feel like, um, a little bit, a little bit duped here. But it was like $8 Canadian. So how, you know, <laughs> I guess that's not terrible. Well, it's no, funny. As no. soon as you as soon as you started to describe this color of blue, I realized there is a house in my neighborhood painted this color of blue, which you have to send me a picture. I will. OK, but the thing that you need to know, and I, I will say on a house, it's a little bit much. It's um, I would imagine so. But yeah. whoever whoever lives there, they really, really like this color of blue because not only is their house painted this color of blue, but they have a Land Rover that is also custom painted this color of blue outside the house. And it's like, every time I walk by it, <laughs> I'm like, I'm blue. Da, ba, dee, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you not? <laughs> uh, it's It's impossible. I both agree with you that's, that it probably is ridiculous and think that I could totally see doing that if I could find the right shade. Like I had wanted to do our powder room this color, but then it just it, like I couldn't track down this paint. And anyway, whatever. But um, yeah, on the very, very wild off chance I ever find myself buying a Land Rover, which I might to go around with Queen Elizabeth sometime. Mm-hmm. I feel like she would she would need that. Yeah, to, to, to hold the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, she'd be driving. She'd probably even dead better driving a car the than I am. The um, reanimated corpse of Queen, of Queen Elizabeth <laughs> is going to chauffeur you around in a Land Rover that is painted, but shouldn't it be royal purple? Eh. Well, yeah. I guess it's your car. She's just the chauffeur. Oh, no, no, wait. It should be painted, okay? And I have our segue in the colors of the bisexual flag. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So can I just like, so we're going to talk about, um, because we, we've both written about this and everybody's talking about it, um, this sort of the Gayler epic in the New York Times by Anna Marks. We're going to talk about this, but the aspect of this article that's kind of willing Taylor Swift into a an unspecified, and I want to talk about that part, queerness that Taylor Swift herself does not appear to have anything to do with. There's a lot made in this article about the colors of the bisexual flag, the bisexual colors that Taylor Swift, it, it, this comes up three times in this article, okay? Her hair, Taylor Swift's hair is at one point the colors of the bisexual flag. A bracelet that says proud, that is one of many bracelets worn by Taylor Swift in a photograph is the colors of the bisexual flag. And also the theme of some of the lovers tour album, something was also the colors of the bisexual flag. Now, Kat, I'm just going to ask you something. Do you know offhand without thinking about it, Googling it, what the colors are of the bisexual flag? Because I did not 
You, oh, you didn't? I'm shocked. Okay, you so I have, a, I have, no, but I have a follow-up question about this. And this is what I okay. think is kind of interesting. Do you think that the typical bisexual, the typical out and proud bisexual knows the colors of the bisexual flag? I mean, I would assume that every out and proud bisexual sleeps in a bed under a coverlet that it, that looks like the bisexual flag. But am I wrong? So this is something, oh, I'm going to have to add this also to our, to the show page, but like, cause I wrote a while ago for the Hedgehog Review about these like awareness days and how they just proliferate and they don't make any sense, you know? And that also comes up in this article where Anna Marks talks about um, how it's, how Taylor Swift released a, a single on lesbian visibility day or something like that. Right. And it's just like, all I could think is like, you can be an actual lesbian and you're not going to know that it's a lesbian visibility. I don't know when it's the Jewish days. I know when it's Jewish holidays sometimes, and mostly because I work at a Jewish publication that has those days off. But yeah, you show, like, you show up to the office and it's closed and you're like, oh, <laughs> it's one of those. If it weren't virtual. Oh, no, I do probably sometimes sign on to Slack. I'm like, oh, right, it's Shemini. That's all right. Um, but yeah, the point is, I don't know when it's like Holocaust Awareness Day or something like this unless somebody has told me. I am not plugged into this I don't like it's there's no so like there's a difference a really big difference between actual holidays and awareness days and this all of this invented new stuff like people aren't actually going for it and it only seems to come up in this context of like can you believe then that such and such happened on such and such awareness day right like the in in pride during pride month yes, like that yes sort of, okay yes. so i think oh god so much about this all right but the the awareness day thing i mean i really do think that all of these awareness days exist primarily for the purpose of either giving people a reason to get offended that something happened you know that mm -hmm. was offensive like on and on that day and during pride you know or to foment this kind of conspiracy theorizing, where which we should just, I'm just going to back up really quick in case anybody didn't read this 5,000 word piece in the New York Times. The thrust of this piece is that Taylor Swift is gay or bisexual. Well, okay. It's not actually specified what, that she's queer, which is, I think, really, I want to, we're going to put that pin there because we're going to return to that. Right. Well, I, I want to yes. be very specific. The thrust of this piece is that Taylor Swift in some capacity is sexually attracted to women. Like that is very explicitly said in the piece, you know, that she's like, that she's invoking in, in subtle ways. So, so subtle that only somebody equipped with like, well, okay, I'm going to, I'll get to this. But the entire idea of the piece is that she likes women, um, that she might also like men, but that she does like women and that she does want women. And, the author marshals quote unquote evidence, which is basically <laughs> just like a lot of, I'm sorry, it is just a lot of really wishful thinking. It is a lot of like seeing, seeing patterns and hearing voices in the snow on the television. I'm really dating myself by even saying that television has snow on it because nobody's seen that in a really long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, you know, I shook out a bunch of alphabets into my bowl of milk and they floated together in a way where if I unscrambled them and like divided by nine, it said Taylor Swift is gay. So she must be gay. It's that level of like deductive reasoning. And mm -hmm. it is remarkable not just that a piece like this was written and published in the mainstream news, but that it was published in the New York Times 
at the length that it was. Anna Marks must have some kind of blackmail material on somebody that she was allowed to do this. <laughs> well, it got it got clicks though. I mean, I think like it, and it is researched. Like it's it's ridiculous, but it there is a lot of evidence. It's not convincing at all, but it is like well executed of its thing, I think. Like I, I think it's, you know, it's a lot of bullshit, but it's like it's bullshit with evidence attached. It's not evidence for the thing she wants it to be for, but she has a lot of, she gives a lot of examples. She has data. She's a committed researcher of. Yeah, so was the Unabomber. It makes sense in the same way that the Unabomber manifesto made sense and marshaled evidence to like support its thesis. Yeah. But yeah, continue. Um, so the thing about, so this is like, can we just, maybe just we'll stick with this first because we've already brought it up. But the which type of queer is Taylor Swift, I think it's really key because this idea of who is or isn't queer, um, this is something that came up really well, actually, in the comments to the New York Times piece. Somebody had a long comment about this, and it's also what I newslettered about in part. But like, if Taylor Swift is like 2% into women and 98% into men, she's queer, she gets her bisexual badge. She gets her, you know, she counts. I don't want to erase that. That could be a type of queer. It would still be fully consistent with her only dating men, with her really actually being involved with the men. She may just seem to be sort of involved with for publicity's sake. I have no sense of when celebrities are really in relationships or not. I think, you know, I, you know, <laughs> it's all Doris Day and Rock Hudson as far as I'm concerned. But not necessarily for that reason. Like she could be actually involved with men, different men. I have no idea. I don't care. I also am not like a Swifty. I don't really, I'm not invested in this. But if it turns out she is some type of queer and it, and the queer is this thing that can be, because like anything can be queer now, right? It could even just be your politics. But if it is just that she's like some tiny, tiny once thought about a woman in a sexual way, once had a dream in which a woman was naked and oh, all right, okay, now she's, she counts. You don't want to erase that. What is the, what does it matter you know what I mean? Like, I guess this is the thing is like, what is, what would that, what does that mean in any practical terms? Like that's, I think the relevance of celebrities being gay, you know, or trans, but actually being the thing and not some sort of like they once had a thought that could be rounded up is that they face oppression for how they actually are living their lives. A woman who once had a sex thought about another woman, but is what much, much prefers to be with men and only dates men and only has sex with men, whatever, there's no like oppression of that category of person in society. You know what I mean? Like that is not like how you live your life. Like it doesn't matter. And I mean, like I've been reading a bunch of accounts of this sort of thing for my book. So like, I'm very I'm, like more up to speed on this than I need to be probably for right this second. But like, I guess it's just, if you're actually only involved with men, and the, the queer is only manifesting itself in something that's basically just in your head. It's not that it doesn't count. It, it's like, it's sure, it can count. But like, if the deep, dark secret is that Taylor Swift has once had a sex thought about a woman, I don't see how that relates to things like celebrities who are gay and not able to come out and they have like a partner who they can't like share with the world. You know what I mean? Like, to mm -hmm. me, this just seems like a totally different category of thing. But like, did Rock Hudson once have a sex thought about another man, but was happily involved with women. No, that wasn't how it went, obviously. Um, and if I talk about Rock Hudson a lot, it's partly for the, you know, historical significance and partly because I have had my share of 
heterosexual thoughts about rock <laughs> myself. You're a Hudson sexual. Um, okay, so I actually want to ask you, I have a theory about this myself, but I want to hear your take. Given what you've just described, what do you think the purpose was of this essay? What does it accomplish? What was its intention? So I think that we may be just kind of in sync on this from having read your article and then I reread what I wrote. And I think like we, we obviously write very different things, but I feel like it comes to kind of the same place in a certain sense. She cannot, Taylor Swift cannot respond to this article by saying she's straight. Even if as by all accounts, she is straight. It seems like she has said as much. She's involved with men. It doesn't seem like there's really much mystery here. She's an ally. So like the, you know, whatever. If Taylor Swift replies to this, and it sounds like her people are mad at the article or whatever. I have not really been following that aspect of things because I don't know, it's kind of boring. But um, if, if she says, I'm straight, what does that mean? When a woman today says, I'm straight, especially as in as a sort of in some sort of defense, it, it seems like she's treating gayness or queerness as an accusation, as a bad thing to be, you know, she can't, it's not like, it can't just be like, clarifying matters it's you know she seems conservative if she says that she seems reactionary or she seems like she's lying and there's no version of events where she can just say i support the lgbtqia plus plus whatever community but i'm not part of it that doesn't seem like it's the end of the ally like the ally is done you have to be part of the thing Mm. because it's just just now it's defined so broadly so this article, the purpose of it, maybe one purpose of it, is basically putting Taylor Swift in this bind where she basically cannot say that she's straight. Because she can't. She, she'll seem ridiculous and like a bigot if she does. But what does straight mean? And I mean, not to like overly, because obviously I could hold forth too much on this, but like, it just means she likes men and that's who she likes only, you know, in that capacity. That's who she like likes. It's not, it doesn't mean she hates gay people. It doesn't, imply that at all anyway so what do you think is the purpose of the article I do think well you know to put her in this position yeah in this sort of untenable position where she all she can do is maintain a dignified silence at this point Uh, even though it's true that somebody in her camp spoke anonymously to CNN and and called the article invasive and inappropriate and, and said that it was over the line and I I do agree with that I'm trying to contextualize the this article against the kind of history within the like Hollywood gossip press of speculating, but in a very cagey way about the sexuality of closeted celebrities. Like it used to be a real thing in 1950s Hollywood celebrities like Tab Hunter, or um, I think Salminio, they did it a little bit, obviously Rock Hudson, they did it a little bit, you know, for people like Hedda Hopper to sort of wink at the fact that these men were gay and people kind of knew they were gay and you know there would be a little bit of a conspiracy within the Hollywood studio system to obscure the truth about these men's sexuality by setting them up on the in these like faux romances with their female co-stars because of that gave the Hollywood gossip press something to sink their teeth into so they wouldn't write the true thing that would be a huge scandal and ruin people's careers. And so it was very like a kind of a symbiotic relationship where like Tab Hunter would go on dates with Natalie Wood, dates I'm putting in scare quotes because he was, you know, not heterosexual. 
And the Hollywood gossip press would write these sort of like, oh, you know, he's going out with Natalie Wood, but is he really the kind of guy that she wants? Like, is he really the right type of man for her? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But that was like, there was a line. It was restrained. Um, And I think that to see something like this in the New York Times, like, even though it is in some senses on a continuum with that kind of thing, I think it ultimately hits very differently. It does feel like a flex. It does feel like the paper of record from a position of like acting as a sort of a cultural enforcer, trying to conscript Taylor Swift into this culture war that she has been very actively trying to avoid involvement in for basically her entire career. And like prior to this, there was all of this kind of, you know, pointed coverage of why doesn't she disavow her right wing fans? You know, she was a secret Nazi was always the Yes, exactly. They've always been trying to drag her into this and basically trying to kind of paint her into a corner where she has to come out in support of democratic politicians or she has to come out as like an ally to the LGBT community. I was looking at like some of the responses after her her people anonymously said that they found this article inappropriate. One, well, this was screenshotted everywhere, so I guess I could just identify the the person who did this. Um, Her name is Emma, or at least that's what her handle is. She says, what the hell is this, Taylor Swift 13? She tags Taylor Swift. Your coward ass is always hiding behind press releases. You are a spineless loser, all caps. You're still gay, and that's final, all caps. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was this other, so uh, the week that this article came out taylor swift was photographed hanging out with i don't know who this is i don't think it's selena gomez um, no it's not selena gomez it's some brunette lady yeah yeah i don't know who she is some, yeah some girl um well woman and they're sort of just like you know sitting close together like friends do and then there's another picture where the brunette has her arm around taylor swift's neck and she's putting on her <laughs> lip gloss in this kind of acrobatic way and this woman frankie de la Cretaz, um Actually, all right, I remember that Frankie de la Cretaz has maybe since come out as non-binary, but whatever, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do the she thing, sorry. She says, I'm going to be real honest here. This is posting the pictures. If she's actually straight, this behavior, especially this week, sucks. And if she's actually queer, all she's shown is that she's totally fine with her queer fans taking a fucking beating online and in the press. Both things are really ugly. Like, sorry, but I feel insane was the especially this week because of that article yes. or is it or is it um, queer baiting awareness week? <laughs> it, it might actually be both. So I, all of this is to say, I think ultimately the way that this article lands is less in like the winking way, the kind of symbiotic that like the Hollywood gossip press used to engage in back in the 50s. It feels much more like if at the height of, say, the like agitation over the end of Roe v. Wade, the New York Times published a 5,000 word op-ed, but that really read like an investigative report saying that Taylor Swift had had an abortion, you know, like basically forcing her into this place where she couldn't deny it without being seen as also, like you said, reactionary, conservative, whatever. It feels like I don't know. I, I, it really it leaves a bad taste in my mouth that they did this. I think it's it's a kind of a bullying approach to things. Yes, yes. And while that would be a perfect segue for what we're talking about next, I have too much to say about this. Okay, ah. no, go for it. So 
I mean, one thing is that I have seen people arguing and have indeed had a little argument on the Twitter myself with somebody about this, that this is not actually about Taylor's, this is not an op-ed arguing that Taylor Swift is gay or queer, which I feel like is a weird reading of it because it is. Um, I guess it's written in this kind of like slightly weasel words way where like it could just be saying it's leaving the possibility open. And I feel like there is this kind of double talk in it where it's a little where Anna Marks is kind of it's unclear whether she's insisting that Taylor Swift is gay or is mad at the people, the fans who don't even consider it a possibility and who wouldn't who rule it out entirely. And I guess I just wonder who are the people who are like, what does that even mean? Rule it out entirely. I'm not in Taylor Swift's brain. Nobody's in Taylor Swift's brain. Like, I don't know. What does that even mean? Like you, you have the facts because there's no fact supporting her being gay, but okay. You know, and anything's possible, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's um, one part of it. But the other is just this idea of, um, I want to just talk about like the queer baiting thing, mm-hmm. because I think at this point in society among the Gen Zers and whatnot, and this was always true in one way or another, like if you think of David Bowie or whatever, you know, like obviously, you know, gender bending celebrities in, you know, arts professions hardly like was invented last week, but whatever. This sort of the the way a Gen Z star has to be for the mainstream now, if they say I'm a heterosexual, especially if it's a woman, that just wouldn't be chic. That wouldn't be now. That wouldn't be how it's done. It would come across as weird and dated and just that that's not it now. You know what I mean? So I think like what, what's interesting about this article is that it takes this Gen Z aesthetic and tries to read something very specific about this one person, Taylor Swift, who, you know, is a part of that generation that, or almost, or is, is maybe, because she's, she's older, but like, yeah, but she's like, you know, catering to the audiences of that generation. And like, they would not want somebody who is, you know, unequivocally straight and is saying that that would not be the chic thing. That doesn't mean they don't want somebody who is obviously a woman who's exclusively dating men. That That's fine. But if she made a big deal about being straight, that would be weird. Or not even made a big deal, even a small deal. Even if she said it, that would be... But then I think this gets to this other thing about the queer baiting thing, which again, I mean, I keep returning to this, that like suddenly it's not queer baiting if dot, 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 question mark is basically where, you know? And not to continue to harp on that same... Um, ladies medium post from a million years ago with the the novelist who is actually bisexual because she had a bisexual thought once so it's fine um but it is that it keeps being that you know what i mean like when when does it stop being queer baiting how queer does taylor swift need to be in it since there you're not even allowed to say there are different levels of it like okay you know what i mean anybody could be queer enough for it not to be queer baiting because you don't know so the whole concept doesn't really really make sense yeah. Oh, I mean, as you pointed out in your, I, I thought, very good piece about this, it's just savvy as a PR strategy at this point to engage in a little bit of what we would call queer baiting, you know, leaving open the possibility to anybody watching from the fandom that like you might be not strictly straight because it, you know, like you said, it's it's kind of trendy, and it gets people talking. And there's no, at this point, 
it's not like there's any risk to it. Um, the, you know, the greater risk would be to not do that because it's like you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I found this article, it just did keep coming back to like, what, what is the buried truth here? Is it that she's pretending to like the men at all? Is it that she may also like women? Cause there's a big difference. Cause is she, is she lying or is she just not telling you every single thought she's ever had potentially, which I don't know. And it does seem that she has said she's straight and that, like there's a part of the article about where she says something about that, like that you um, are uh, that she hadn't realized about how you could be an ally to groups you're not a part of or something. And it's mm-hmm. clear, like she has said this. I mean, she hasn't put a big "I am straight" tattoo on her forehead, but that's because that would be a weird thing to do. But this is anyway. So this is this comes out of this thing, the Gaylers. Okay, and I have heard of this, but. Like there, there are people who are really committed to the idea that Taylor Swift is a lesbian. And I think this started because she was friends with Carly Kloss, who I think is, isn't she now married to like Jared Kushner's brother? Oh, I, Carly Kloss. I had missed that. These are the, well, in any case, this is this model, Carly Kloss, who was friends with, maybe is still friends with, I don't know, Taylor Swift. And then it was like, these are two women standing near each other. Therefore there must be lesbians. Um, yeah, I also find the idea that she's 34 and has uh, and isn't married and doesn't have children and is there for a lesbian very a very strange place to land if for somebody who's ever actually like interacted with other human beings in the world. I mean, that's like a very retro take. It is a very retro take. It is a very retro take. And then you get so um and then you get the social conservatives who are mad at her because of this also because she's normalizing having a cat and not having, you know, 50 children. And, and having and having too many boyfriends. All of this just seems like she's famous. She's a famous woman. And of course, she's having a nice time. She's young or young-ish and famous and having fun and, it, or, and working super hard. It just seems like not strange at all that that's how, anyway. Yes. Well, I mean, I was very entertained by just like the sheer, this is a little bit of a a weird like random deep cut but did you ever watch lost no i haven't i know what it is though so there was this whole kind of contingent of fans who watched that show who really and and we were i say we because i was definitely a member of this contingent um we were enabled by jeff jensen at entertainment weekly who would write these really in-depth recaps of the show examining every scene like looking at like what books were on a table just like absolutely deep reading, like mega overanalyzing every single thing in the show to try to find like hidden messages to, to, to see if there was like some other layer to it. And, um, and that was very fun. But that is basically what is happening in this piece where it's like in her stage settings, stage decor for the era's tour she evokes the art of like les this lesbian artist from the mid-century like that was amazing i would guarantee you taylor swift has no idea who this person is i mean her set designer possibly did or right right it's It's almost as if she's not personally like one of the interesting things though is when somebody does a like an intense deep read on something like this and you know and they clearly are coming from a place of deep knowledge like I I will say this Anna Marks certainly knows her stuff when it comes to like lesbian lore in in pop culture and art and history Um, you tend to take their word for it and so I was a little bit 
shocked when, you know, because I was writing about this, I Googled the bisexual pride flag and I discovered that like the album cover in question, the lover album, it doesn't even really look like that. Like the colors are completely <laughs> washed out. By com- the bisexual pride flag is quite vibrant and the lover album is all pale pastels. So <laughs> um, yeah, you know, on top of everything else, I just, I felt a little bit lied to. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, I have like too much to say about this article for a podcast, but it just, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting that it exists and I do think it is kind of forcing, like it's forcing Taylor Swift into this kind of like the, maybe this is the best way to put it to try to, uh, I'm having trouble phrasing this, but basically if the idea with Gen Z is that they're post labels and Taylor Swift will not personally part of Gen Z is, you know, appealing to that audience and what she's going for is post label, then trying to say that that means that she's, you know, hiding who she really is. It just seems to be, it, it seems to be applying some sort of, like she's not currently a country music star. That's not what her role is, you know, in the world. And if she's part of this Gen Z, I'm not going to label myself thing, then that's that's just a different thing, right? Is Gen Z the I'm not going to label myself generation? I thought that they like... Or, well, like the post-gender, they, could all, they may all call themselves queer, even though most of them are straight like most people. I mean, I just thought that they were the ones who had made up, um, unless the, maybe this was young millennials, but who had made up like a specific name for every possible like minute iteration of sexuality and gender. So you could be like a pansexual, sapio-gender, demi-something, I whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought I thought they loved their labels, but perhaps I'm... No, I think, it's, I think it's both of these things. Things. I think they do love their labels, but I think they have this idea that you're going to be like, this is something that I've been trying to make sense of for a while. And this is maybe going to sidetrack us too much. So I don't want to go into it too much, but this idea of queers as a community. And I was recently reading, this was in, um, it was in blog TO, good old blog TO, the local, um, whatever, you know, events and restaurants and such guide for my city, uh, obviously a blog, what would the name? And there was something about a new bar that offers something special. So I clicked to see what this was. What is the new bar offering something special? And it's for queers and it's for the queers, all queers. And I'm trying to make sense of who are queers. Well, like it, as a group, what? who is that? Is that men, women, non-binary people, both? Do they all want to be in the same place? What are they getting out of that? You know, it just, it seemed, but like this is this category that can mean kind of anything, including accepting people who are basically heterosexual mm-hmm. or are not even basically who just are, but you know, like there, there's just, it seems like, whereas in the past there would be, it's not that there wouldn't be clubs that could have, you know, gay men and lesbians and bisexual people all in them, but there would be some sense that like, these are distinct groups of people who, you know, for obvious reasons might sometimes want to gather, you know, in a more specific way. Mm-hmm. But because of the redefinitions of, you know, like gender and all of this, it kind of has to be everybody or it doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you eventually you're going to get to a place where you've labeled yourself in such minute and specific ways that you are in a category of one 
and then the categories cease to be meaningful and everyone's just back in the soup together, which, you know, seems like it might be a, a good way forward. Um, so before we segue, we should take a moment to say that this is Feminine Chaos. We are a podcast. And if you are enjoying this conversation and would like to hear more like it, you should join us on Substack at femchaospod.substack.com, where for $5 a month, you can gain access to two, sometimes occasionally three exclusive subscribers only episodes per month. You'll also get commenting privileges. Sometimes we do AMAs. And most importantly, on Wednesdays, we wear pink. <laughs> Beautiful segue. Thank you. Thank you. So are we talking about Mean Girls? Yes. Is Emily Brown her real name? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think she's married now, but I mean, how many okay. how many Emily Browns are there in the world? I thought it was safe. I thought it was safe. I think so. So for any, anyone not understanding why we're talking about Emily Brown, yes, yes. who I'm just going to say her name over and over again. <laughs> yeah. So, so Kat wrote an amazing article called We Are All Mean Girls Now about the sort of the revival of mean girls, the new mean girls and the concept of the mean girl and all of this. Yes. Opened with an anecdote from my childhood in which um, I attended in eighth grade this assembly uh, where they got our, our the girls in our class together to talk about cliques and bullying at the school. Um, we had a serious bullying problem. There was one huge clique called the group, or at least that was what we called them. I was not in it. Um, and they really like, they just ruled the school like a, like a <laughs> pack of hyenas. And um, in this assembly, this one girl raised her hand and was like, I just want to say it's not like that here. You know, we don't have a click problem. We don't bully each other. Everyone just, you know, everyone just has their groups and hangs out with the people they want to hang out with. And yeah, we can't be friends with everyone. This girl was named Emily Brown. And this was the point at which I like blacked out in the assembly because about a week prior, um, Emily Brown had like run up behind me in gym class, said a mean rhyme about how flat chested I was, and then elbowed me in the ribs so that I <laughs> fell on the ground. She was like the meanest girl in the entire class. And she was either completely in denial or just had like the brassest set of balls in the world and um yeah you know thought that there was nothing wrong with any of this and then there was the the scene that's it for mean girls that is the scene yes it's too much it's too much and i mean that scene where regina george in the original movie stands up and says like excuse me but like we don't have a click problem in this school and some of us shouldn't have to take this workshop because some of us are just victims here that is pulled straight from the research of rosalind weissman who wrote queen bees and wannabes in 2002 um you know that book was the book that tina fey adapted into mean girls and weissman encountered this dynamic every time she gave a presentation. I actually am wondering if it was her who was giving the presentation at my middle school. Um, it's, <laughs> it's entirely possible. But she said this would always happen. Like an eighth grade girl would raise her hand and she would say that there was not a problem and like her, the Weissman services were not needed. And she, without exception, this would be your Regina George. This would be your queen bee. That is so funny. I love it. I mean, I don't love it for you that this happened, but... Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I don't remember. So 
eighth grade was terrible, but I don't remember that specifically. Like this thing, I I think it was just too, it was too subdivided. Like there were just different, there was a big hierarchy of cliques, but like they, there were just too many of them. And mine, so I was in the like, there, there was the very top one. I was not in that. Then there was the next down and I was in that one. But I was until I wasn't. This I think I forget which grade was this sixth or seventh grade. It's probably seventh grade where I was just kicked out of it entirely. But then they wanted me back in. And I remember months of this and it was just very weird. And those did turn out to be at the end of middle school, my group of friends. So it must have been that I eventually, but it was very tentative. It was very I was unenthusiastic about rejoining them, but I was like banished and then brought back in. And I was in the the shopping one and it was terrible because like, I just, I didn't have the pocket money for it or the interest. I found this very, like, it was quite tedious being in the gap for like the whole day while, you know, my prettier best friend tried on 50 different outfits and bought, you know, 25 of them or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. This is, I, I feel like you've just described life on another planet. <laughs> it was just a whole, it was a whole thing. But the, the really popular group though, and this is, this is where, this is actually segue into, into something like substantive, I promise. Yeah, go for it. The most popular girl, the one who was kind of, she wasn't at all a bully or anything like that. She basically, she was just sort of elusive and like mysterious and only certain people got to talk to her. It only I only realized as an adult that this might have had something to do with the fact that she is a literal billionaire, like one of the richest people probably in the world. Um, and her father had had been, um, you know, mayor of New York. I don't I think that may have been a little later. I don't remember. I think he was not yet mayor. But the point okay. is, this was an actual genuine famous person. You have to just tell me who this was. Georgina Bloomberg. Oh, my goodness. She was very popular, yeah. but she didn't do any, but I'm not, but she wasn't a bully or anything like that. She was just like the, she was clearly the most popular girl in the class, but it took me years to somehow put together that the fact that she was like richer than God might have had something to do with this. Cause I just thought, well, if I were only a little bit savvier about which, which Adidas sneakers were wearing this season, maybe I too could be like that. <laughs> and it's like, wait a second. No. Um, but yeah, but but the, but what I was going to say, though, is that that clique, though, was not uniformly people like this, and that one of the members of it in good standing was absolutely a girl who was not only not white, but was one of the few scholarship students at this private school. So who knows? And that brings me to my question, which is, is it true that as I read in the New York Times, mean girls are inherently white and upper middle class? I mean, Emily Brown, who, you know, <laughs> tormented me for years, uh, was not white. I think she was biracial. And I do think, I mean, the the researcher who said this in the New York Times, so they, they did an update on Rosalind Weissman, like, where is she now? What is she doing? Curiously, what Weissman does now, and I think this is probably going to be relevant to our conversation, is she works with adult women who are replicating the contours of like mean girl dynamics in their adult lives. 
but in this in the course of this conversation you know because yeah like the whole queen bees and wannabes and mean girls phenomenon dates from our like pre-racial reckoning america the new york times begins to suggest that maybe these are no longer useful archetypes or useful categories to be discussing then they consult this researcher who described the concept as rooted in privilege um and she suggested that basically, like, the only way you could behave in these kind of backbiting antisocial ways was if you were wealthy and white. And she says that the phenomenon of the mean girl or the archetype is, quote, a product of middle to upper class white girls. Okay, so, like, I would wager any amount of money that this researcher has a moldering burn book in her closet somewhere. Like, <laughs> she's, she, is, she is the one standing up at the assembly being like we don't have a click problem. This isn't a thing. Um, you know, that's just like, that's just white girls. That's not us. Um, and then she's the meanest girl in school. But yeah, you know, there is this, this quest to kind of either rejigger the entire discussion around mean girls or to dismiss the concept entirely because it does not slot neatly into a contemporary discourse in which the whole concept of a mean girl is predicated on the idea that like to be a villain, to be a bad person or to treat people badly is always a product of privilege. And so, you know, if you're like marginalized or whatever, then you couldn't possibly par be participating in this type of thing, which but anybody who has ever like lived in girl world um, or even brushed up against it knows that the mean girl is like a raceless, classless, timeless phenomenon. She transcends social category and social construct. She's everywhere. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is something, oh, too many things to say about this. So help me. Whenever people say like, wouldn't it be nice, an all-female environment, a mom un, an all-women's co-working space, whatever, I always do have to think like, have these people not in all female environments because it's not that you know yeah you avoid certain issues but you got others i went to a girl's school from when i was five to when i was 13 i would not wish this on anybody um yeah it's not just the absence of boys being annoying if you are you know straight but it's like women girls can be not uniquely awful to one another, but there's not, nothing special happens where everybody's nice to each other. But the other thing I was thinking about though, is just the whole thing with like the girlies, you know, the reclaimed girl thing. And suddenly the sort of hyper feminine girly thing being a sort of Regina George type, that's actually feminist now, Barbie, all of that, right? So I think there's this idea that like, <sighs> It, it, you used to be able to see somebody like that and immediately clock that that's meant to be the, the villain. But now, isn't that your internalized sexism showing that you judge this person's feminine femme self-performance? You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You know what? I, does that make sense? What I'm like, I think there's this idea that that's actually like those are not that, that the bad people are the sort of like the Darias, you know? And that the Quins are now actually the good feminists. Does this make any sense? Am I making any sense? Interesting. I it, That had never occurred to me. It's very galaxy-brained. But I do think that there is something to it because there are all these, you know, like the rec reclamation of the bimbo, all of this, where those are now, you know, as long as they're self-aware about it or 
or there's any possibility that they're self-aware. Now, I don't think Regina George is self-aware about it at all. Maybe the movie is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the movie is. So the movie is a musical, which, um, boy, was I surprised <laughs> and not in a good way as I was sitting there and the lights went down and the music came up and I was like, oh, my God, what did I just pay $14 for? <laughs> um, you know, and I'm trapped in this theater now. Like I said, I would see this. I have to stay. Um but there is this whole song and, you know, when Regina makes her big entrance and I'm tempted, I'm tempted to sing it because she does it kind of like Britney Spears, like where it's like, my name is Regina George. But anyway, she's like, the whole song is, I don't care who you are. I don't care how you feel. So she is self-aware, right? In a sense, she's also presented as kind of an aspirational figure. And I think that this is partly because the movie is like a derivation of a derivation of a derivation at this point. It's, it started out as a satire of a real social phenomenon. And then there was a musical made out of that. And then a movie made out of the musical. And things get lost in translation. And some things also get added in translation. And one of those things in the latter category is that there's this just kind of straightforward admiration for Regina George because, like, she's a badass, you know, in certain ways. And the fact that she's, like, unrelentingly cruel is both de-emphasized and in some ways kind of, like, treated with this grudging, or not even grudging, admiration. So... Yeah, I think maybe because of the way that the landscape of feminism has changed within the past 20 years or because we've had this massive upheaval caused by social media, which has caused a kind of, uh, I hate to say this because it sounds misogynistic, but like there's been a feminization of the the way that the discourse works because so much of it takes place online and so much of it takes place in venues where you can engage in this kind of extremely female coded social aggression and aggrandize yourself in that way and gain like social capital in that way. Um, I think Mean Girls, like the entire concept just plays very differently now because a lot of non-girls, you know, a lot of grown up women have found that they can use these tactics in their adult lives and in their professional lives even to gain power and to gain influence. And it is a lot harder to indict that now when so many people are doing it and see it as a good thing. So like the the sanctimonious bullying, the bullying for righteous cause, things things like that? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just also consider if you want to advance yourself professionally one of the ways that you can do that now is to get on twitter or whatever and call out somebody else in your field for being like a bad or uncool person in in whatever way that is that makes them an acceptable target and in that way you can raise your own profile and that is just like I mean, the the dynamics that Weissman outlines in her book where it's like you use gossip and you use information about people to like foment the social destruction of a, of your rival 
and to raise yourself up in the ranks. Yeah. And then, but I mean, I think what often happens is the people who are both the bully and bullied end up being women and that this doesn't end up taking down necessarily all that many men. For the most part, yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, I'm just thinking of like, you remember the reply all meltdown? I do, but I guess, yeah, yeah. I think you do see guys engaging in this stuff to a certain extent. Like they're not as good at it um, because it it's difficult especially for like a heterosexual man, I think it's difficult to be just like that catty and that bitchy without it coming off as a little weird, but they still will glom onto it. Um, I mean, like just for an example, like Michael Hobbs, right? Nobody does this better than Michael Hobbs. The kind of covert, aggressive bullying um, in order to raise his own profile. I am... I, I know the name and I, I vape, but I forget why he's significant. I mean, he's big on like one of his main things to do is like he'll block people on on Twitter, but then he uses a burner account to like go to their profiles and screenshot their stuff. And then he posts it. He posts it on his on his own page and makes fun of it to his like, I don't know, million followers or whatever he has. OK, OK, that's very that's very it. Um yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense. But I also want to talk about um, the sort of the diversity of the new mean girls and the <laughs> the diversity of the old mean girls that seems like maybe not there and specifically Jews. I want to talk about Jews. Yes. Gretchen Wiener, I remember from the original. So I have seen the original mean girls. I've not seen the new one. Yeah, you will be, I don't know, I won't say delighted, intrigued to hear that in the new mean girls, Gretchen Wieners is no longer Jewish. She is Hispanic. Does she still have that name? Is she still Gretchen Wieners? Yes. But she's not Jewish now. Well, I mean, she could be half, um, but there's a scene where she is like in, in Regina George's closet. Maybe maybe this is a secret message, you know. Yeah, I was going to say Anna Marks would say that that means it's actually an extremely, um, yes. Yeah, but she's in Regina George's closet and she's like, oh, here's the jewelry box that or the music box that my abuela gave to me and I gave to Regina. You know, so yeah. So the absence of somebody Jewish in a very Jewish role, but in an otherwise that, but it's like part of. So so it's a more diverse cast overall, right? But not in that regard. And I find that interesting for reasons that I can maybe get into, unless it sidetracks us too much. Does it sidetrack us too much? I don't think it sidetracks us too much. I mean, okay. I've been watching only murders in the building. It's this show that's set on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and nobody's Jewish and it's so fucking weird. Like I, I was trying to write about this because like I'm not mad at it. I'm not I don't think they've like done something like I, I don't think it's out of hate, but it's just really, really weird because this is not just a historically Jewish neighborhood. It's like a demographic. Like this is just that would not happen. It's just it's a strange choice, especially in the context of that it's clearly a show that doesn't want the girls style criticisms or friends or whatever of showing an all-white New York, so it really doesn't, and it takes all these pains. Like, it's really, really diverse. There's, like, a black lesbian couple, you know what I mean? Like, it, they, they know about diversity. Every group, not Jews, Jews being, like, a pretty humongous group in the very, very specific... So it's not just that it's, like, incidentally set on the Upper West Side. It is, like, about the Upper West Side. Mm -hmm. I find this interesting because I think there is this way that, like, Jews don't really have a place in sort of, like... Like Jews would just be more white people, kind of, but also like would it be too problematic? Would would there be concerns that the representation is anti-Semitic, whatever? And somehow like 
the as if the agreed upon thing is just easier not to mention Jews at all. And that seems like maybe what's happening in both of these instances. The other connection is Tina Fey, who, of course, um, is behind Mean Girls, but also is in uh, Only Murders in the Building. Mm-hmm. Yes. OK, so I'm curious about something because I was thinking about this and, you know, whether it constitutes erasure or whether it constitutes just like such complete assimilation that it's difficult to demarcate people as Jewish without resorting to like having them sitting around be eating bagels and being like, oy vey, you know, I'm just thinking about, I mean, I've spent a fair amount of time on the Upper West Side. I obviously did not grow up there, but I used to uh, babysit some very sweet kids who lived there who are now old enough to both be married, which is horrible. Um, <laughs> but like I was aware in like a, a kind of a vague intellectual way that this was a Jewish neighborhood. It was a Jewish family whose children I was babysitting. Um, you know, I knew that there were many Jews around, but it's not like that was readily apparent walking down the street or interacting with people. And I think also about like the neighborhood that my grandparents lived in in the Bronx before they moved to Maine, which was Riverdale. Also a very Jewish neighborhood. But when we went to visit them there, like you got no sense that the place was full of Jews. And unless we had been, I think, observant members of the community, it would not have necessarily registered. So how do you in a show like Only Murders in the Building, like how would you make sure to represent Jews? I can answer this um, with specifics so yeah i mean it's not just that when you're on the upper west side it's like bagel shop synagogue jcc bagel shop synagogue jcc and a lot of these days very observant jews who are you know dressed in a way where this is not ambiguous and you wouldn't have to have them saying oy vey to make it to make them visibly jewish the show has a character who is the deli king played by nathan lane okay his family had been in as they call it um, which I've never seen it referred to in quite these terms before, but as I call it in the show, the Greek and Armenian Holocaust. So the Armenian genocide, right? So that is his family's history. There's even like in one episode, there's some newspaper headline that has something to do with locks. So he's like that kind of deli, okay? But they make a big point in him being something else that isn't Jewish, it seems like they are taking pains to like not have this be about Jews. It's different from a show like Seinfeld, where I think they tried to just to make it accessible to wider audiences. They just somewhat de-emphasized like it, it's still pretty Jewish, but they still did some de-emphasizing. But like this to me, just I feel like one way they could have to like to answer your question, they could have had the Deli King be Jewish, right? Like, why would the Deli King that would have been an, a very obvious character He's not a main character. He's not like the main character or something. He's not one of the main characters. Why would he not be Jewish? Okay. I I have a counterpoint for this. Why would he not be Jewish? Because it's funny. Because it's funny that he's not. You expect that he's going to be and then they subvert your expectations and it gets a laugh. But but when nobody is, like he's obviously, like he's coded Jewish, but he, he can't be. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess like I'm torn on, like, so what I found frustrating about thinking about this is like, I don't, I'm not. I, I find this interesting that the show made this choice. It doesn't make me 
less inclined to watch the show. I'm still watching it. I think it's interesting. There's an actor in it who is like extremely attractive. Oh, who is it? The character is Oscar Torres. He's portrayed by, I'm reading from its wiki. He is portrayed by Aaron Dominguez. Just going to refresh Worth, myself on this. You want, you, want, you want to refresh yourself on this. He's got kind of a Gomez Adams thing going on. I mean, I'm just looking at a picture of him in a in a suit where he's um He's not often in a suit in this. Yeah, no. He no, he wears that pastel hoodie. Um Right. <laughs> the tie-dye hoodie. Yes. Maybe it's a bisexual flag. It it could be. <gasps> oh my god. I think god. he's trying to he's trying to queer bait. No, he's signaling that he's a Taylor Swift fan. Or maybe he's a Gaylor. <laughs> A Hetler or or Hetler or a Hetler. <laughs> Those are so apparently. I had when I blogged about this, put something about that I'm not a gayler, a byler, or a straightler, or a panler. And then somebody let me know that there is a name for the people who think Taylor Swift is straight, and they are called Hetlers. So the uh, the young folks who believe that Taylor <laughs> Swift is straight are they called the Hetler youth? <laughs> they would have to be. <laughs> and if you're brand new to the fandom. Are you a baby Hitler? Well, we all know what should happen then. <laughs> um, but we have to, before we talk more about anything else, in fact, before we conclude, we do have to, do we have to briefly mention this or is this a, another whole topic? I think it might be another whole topic. But can we just say we're aware? We are aware that there is somebody who did a thread saying that you should not read any book by somebody who has posted something so rabidly Zionist as thinking that the Israelis and Palestinians should both have a state? Yes. Okay. Here's what we'll say about this. We're aware of it. You guys sent it to us. You sure did. Bunch of, bunch of you. Thank you so much. It is going to be the subject of our next premium episode. So if you want to hear that, you should tune yes, in. Yes. But Yes, and we we know we know it's there, and yes. we we are. We're very excited. Do you have anything else to say on the topic of uh, Taylor Swift, Jewish erasure, and only murders in the building, or Mean Girls? I think that all female environments would all be greatly improved by the addition of the actor. What's got the tie dye shirt hoodie thing? <laughs> What's got, what's got that? I'm trying to be. I'm trying to speak like the queen. That? Did that not come through? I'm joking. No, I, yeah. I, I was just going to say <laughs> that's very common. The queen would never. I know, I know, I know. It's anyway. Um, and you? I will just say that tonight, when you go to sleep underneath your bisexual pride flag duvet, make sure that you dream provocatively about both men and women, or you're kicked out of the club. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might have been feminine chaos. I think it has. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.